Hi, everybody, and welcome to the next edition of the Samwise Yabonski podcast. I am so grateful uh, that you're here. Very good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm very especially excited um, for today and for our guest today, who is Ran Corant Morgan. Welcome. Good morning. Welcome, Ran. So we got to have Ran really early on in my time at the church. We met a little bit and then Ran dug in and I got to teach a very sweet uh, online class. We just dove right into the sort of pandemic reality of Zoom classes and ran and uh, what, what was it in the beginning? Like 30 or something. It was a lot of people along with Martha, Corant, uh, Ran's mom. And it was such a joy. To I feel like we met all the time. Like it was we such did. A big... We met like every single week. We were emailing, we were talking, we had phone calls, we had video yeah. meetings. It was great. It, it was such a fun way to get to know you and your mom and, and such a beautiful, it was a, a book group on anti-racism and there was fiction and nonfiction. So anyway, I'm so grateful for that. And then it's just been sweet to get to know you and, uh, and your beloved and your family. And, and yeah, so I'm excited to to be here today and to dive in. We were already, you know, getting into all sorts of wonderful conversations before it all began. But um, why don't, here, we'll get back to the sort of origin story and the other stuff, but let's just dive right where we were with the Enneagram. Like, tell us about the Enneagram. Okay, so the Enneagram is like a personality test. Honestly, it's really interesting. I haven't done a deep dive into this side of it, but if you do a quick search, you'll see that it has a lot of um, like Christian associations. I think a lot of oh, okay, religious wait. Christian. Yep. I didn't know about this. Sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. This is yep. the first time I've ever stopped a podcast. So you Sam will edit this out. Yeah. I'm going to ask about your origin story first because that's Great. what we've done every other time. Excellent. And okay. Because if somebody doesn't know you, they're like, Enneagram? <laughs> like, who is this person? Right, right. I did not think that's what we would be talking about. Because we were about. just like flowing yep. with this other thing. Okay. All right, great. So It's all good. We'll, we can make we'll it slice work. it out. So as we've done with most folks, uh, tell us a little bit about how it is that you guys came to the church and how you found Unitarian Universalism and a little bit of your, a little bit of the path that brought you here. Yeah, great question. So I started going to a Unitarian Universalist church when I was nine years old. Um, and I believe that this was around the age, I grew up in a, a town outside of Boston that was very Christian, sort of, there were a ton of Christian churches around and basically everyone I knew went to them. And so apparently this was around the age when people started getting money for something. 
Yeah, like maybe confirmation. a confirmation. Is that what it was? I don't know. But all of a sudden, all of my classmates were like getting all this money and having these big things that they were going to. And I guess I started asking questions. And so my mom, as she tells it, I don't remember these details, was like, we have to find a church. And so we apparently visited a couple of different churches and we ended up at the UU Church in Chelmsford. Chelmsford. So and is that where you were living or? No, we were a town or two towns over from there. Where um, was that? Where were you? Bill Ricca. Bill Ricca. Oh, cool. Yep. That's where yep. our current youth director of youth ministry is living in Bill Ricca. Oh, funny. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to get you guys connected. So anyway, you, um, so you found that church. Yep. And so I grew up going to that church from, from third grade, maybe fourth grade onwards. So I went to, you know, I had RE classes, OWL didn't exist then as OWL. We had AYS about your sexuality. Yeah, I um, did that too. Yes, way back the old, old version. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so we didn't, we didn't have a big enough group at my church to hold that. So we traveled to a different church every Sunday night and we went through AYS with a bunch of kids we didn't know. I know it still mm, blows my mind. one every night? Oh no, a different, like the same, oh, I think went, it was I like know, Acton and Stowe. No, we didn't go to a different church every night. Every Sunday we went to a church that was not right. our church. Oh, gotcha. That makes and sense. had we AYS with, yeah. okay. With we, have, we welcome in some other folks know. from Watertown and other places. Yes. Yes. Howell. Yeah. Um, I did coming of age mm-hmm. at the UU church there. I also think I had many sort of formative experiences at church as a kid, I think. And some, some that still stick with me are, we had a series during, I have no idea how old I was, but during the church year where we went to a bunch of different religious services. So each week we went to a different house of worship and, and met the people there and sat in on part of it and learned a little bit about that religion. And that was really impactful. I, I remember learning about religions that I didn't even know existed and they were like right across the common, like we weren't going that far. Um, (laughs) And then the other thing that I really remember was we, there were, there were like three people, my age, we had a pretty small group of youth. Now I'm like, oh, there were a ton of people, but they were one or two years behind me. And when you're a kid, that is an enormous age difference. They were so young. Um, And we, my two or three friends and I really wanted to babysit for the younger kids when there were like meetings that parents had to be at. And there was a whole debate about whether we were old enough. And so we ended up putting together like a proposal and going and standing before the board and presenting our arguments to be able to babysit. And it passed. And I just remember like feeling so powerful about that, that we we were members of the church whose voices were listened to and there was space for us to advocate for ourselves and advocating for ourselves had an impact as well. Yeah. That's Um, great. So I went, I went all the way through high school when I started working and then I often was working on Sundays. And so it sort of faded out then. Mm -hmm. And then as an adult, I occasionally tried Yep. As an, I mean, what's adulthood, right? Um, after right. I, after I graduated from college, I occasionally visited a couple of other churches, but, and I hear this is such a common experience, had trouble finding connection with right. churches when I was in my early twenties. And so yeah. when Dulcia and I finally bought our house in Wakefield, 
we decided this is the way that we're going to find community. And so we shopped around a little bit. um, And I think for, for years, my mom has been going to, to first church for years and has been saying, come to my church. And I'm like, I'm not going to my mom's church. It is my mom's church. (laughs) I'm an adult. It's mm-hmm. too far away. It's a whole half hour away. I think Oof. the first time I met you, Chris, you were like, oh, you passed eight UU churches on your way here. <laughs> and I think you were exaggerating, but I actually think you're right. Like, I, yeah. I think it's right around there. Yeah. Which um, I which I love. I love. Yes. I- <laughs> yes. We're like, buy that UU church. Buy that UU church. There's a UCC church. We'll yell, wave at them too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think that when everything was sort of like we visited a couple times back in the fall of 2019. So shortly before the pandemic, we weren't going super regularly, but I think we had name tags. So like we were, we were a little bit there. Mm, Um, The the new name tag. Sorry to interrupt are adorable. Mine, mine was done immediately. Oh yeah. I I already printed it and I put it. Thank you. Thank you. I already got my email that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that really, really pulled me in was just when when I reached out to my mom and said, you know, I feel like I need to be doing something with everything that was happening around race in in the spring of 2020, the conversations that were happening or yeah. the conversations that weren't happening. Um, and I wasn't getting much traction at the church that we had been attending, despite having been going there for a while and reaching out to several people and saying, what are we doing? I just wasn't getting any traction. And so I reached out to my mom and said, you know, would you be, are, are, is there a book club or something like that? She said, there's not a book club, but I bet if you, if you asked about it, I mean, I could ask about it and then they'll say, well, there's not one, but if you start it, there will be. And she was like, I don't really want to do that by myself. And I was like, oh, I'll do it with you. And she was like, oh, okay, let me look into it. And Chris, not to give you too much credit, but (laughs) (laughs) the fact that the answer that came back was not only yes, do this, but also that the minister wants to be involved and is just throwing his weight behind this just felt like Mm. the real level of support and investment that I was looking to be a part of. And I think that that experience of going through the book club, we initially set it up to be a six month commitment and we asked people to attend the whole time. And we ended up taking one month off, but meeting for a whole year. We did six months, one month off, and then five months. Um, I mean, I did so much learning in the reading that I was doing. I read things I wouldn't have otherwise read. I did so much learning and thinking about what we would talk about. And then also in having these conversations with people who have a a range of perspectives and really thinking about, there were times when people said things that were problematic. And so really reflecting on like my discomfort, not wanting to make someone else uncomfortable, thinking about being a white person, talking to another white person. And so when does, how do you find the balance between discomfort and responsibility and, and how do we leverage our own privilege to help us all be better because also in a book club in this context it's a group of people saying this is something I care about and this is something I'm invested in and something I want to learn from Um, but those moments especially where either like I remember there was one moment that Chris you and I have talked about and we've also talked about the person who was involved but there was one moment 
where I heard something problematic and didn't say something. And some people heard it, some people didn't, but we ended the meeting without addressing it. It was like right at the end too. It was right at the the, end. And, and the, the process of like sitting with that and reflecting on that and thinking about who was impacted and then having the follow-up conversations with the individual person and then having the follow-up conversation with the group was an enormous learning experience and was so impactful yeah. Um, and it was so a beautiful I'm thing. Deeply it was a beautiful grateful thing. for that. And I think that's exactly when, you know, these groups are great when we're sort of digging into justice and really learning and people are coming from all sorts of different places. And, but it's exactly those moments, right. Where it, where it's a little crinkly, where it's like a little right. bit challenging. That's where, you know, it really untangles. Um, I love that too. And, and the fact that uh, to sort of, if, if people didn't know or didn't see or weren't part of it, one of the really beautiful things, and I don't know if it was you or your mom, um, one of the really beautiful mechanisms was that we read really thick, dense, you know, cast, you know, which was just like, oh, just huge Ooh, yeah. and so impactful. But yeah. then we were also reading fiction, you know, so we were, we were kind of digging into how to be an anti-racist and like really a lot of uh, complicated and then it was being grounded right after um, with some stories. And it was really cool the way it happened. And, and the group was really a wonderful group to get to know. And it was like right at the beginning, right? I mean, it was like right yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic. So we had time. Let's say right. We time. right. Well, and so that also, because I, I brought all of this up in the context of how did I end up at First Church, like getting, feeling that level of support, but then also getting to know people in this group of like 20 people starting to recognize people getting to talk. We had sort of, we all came together in a large group and then we split into smaller breakout rooms where we had smaller conversations, not smaller conversations, but conversations where more people could speak and listen and share ideas. And um, that also helped me get to know people more. And since then, in I've, I've met a few people in other settings when there's been something in person, like the in-person services or Sandy Island. We actually went to Sandy Island this year, and that was amazing to get to meet people and see people. That was people. so fun. And recognize people's faces. Right. Um, so I think the the book group is really what pulled me in, and and then the people are what really yeah. have us here. That's great. Um, and and was Dilsea in UU churches before, or is that something that you guys? No, I totally roped her into that, and <laughs> and she has really made her own connections too. Right. So she knows different people. She's in a small group ministry. Oh, fun. Um, so she knows a bunch of people that I don't know. And then also at Sandy Island, we got to know people that we've now seen outside of these contexts. We had a game night with some folks at one point, you know, Whoa. it was great. That's serious. That's yes. next level. <laughs> game um, night. I remember the game. I remember the games that we played at Sandy Island. Yes. We, we, we played games under a big tent. It was great yep, after the bonfire. I'm not. I'm not usually a big game person, but but uh, but that was fun, you know. I, I sorry, this is an aside, but I miss Sandy Island, and I think some of the people listening will agree with me that we should have two Sandy Islands a year. <laughs> we should do another one. Yes. End of aside. Sorry, that this. was a footnote. <laughs> we were working on actually. Brian and I were just in the midst of working on. We found this um, 
canoe camping thing where you sort of you drive up many hours away and then you canoe during the day and then you camp and then you canoe and then you camp so something like that or like a camping trip or oh that um, sounds great yeah it, it would see the thing about really sandy fun. island chris have you been to sandy island yet i was yeah my first okay. year i went okay. but i was somehow thought that i needed to be there i mean it was my very first couple of weeks so i went to sandy island for a couple of days and then i zoomed back to do the first uh, church service or one Got of the it. first, you know, it's September. So there's this old yeah. school thing about like, oh, we're starting back up. But I think now we've realized that time is essentially an illusion and <laughs> the pandemic has underlined that like no time date means anything yes. Yes. and that we control so much of the flow of the church here. So I think, you know, we're looking at again, how we can really make it available for lots of folks and really sort of welcome in a bunch of folks. So I'm excited to come back next year. And this year, we had a couple false positive COVID tests right before mm. we went. So we didn't get to go. We were all ready yeah. to go. The whole squad, all five of us. So, anyway. so it was our first time going to Sandy Island and yeah. my family has a cabin in New Hampshire on Lake Winnipesaukee right. that my yeah, yeah. great grandfather built um, just over a hundred years ago. Now, I think we just passed wow. the hundred year wow. mark wow. and it is a two minute drive from the dock at Sandy Island. Oh, that's funny. Wow. Um, and so we, and we, Delcia and I usually spend our anniversary week. We take a whole week that off wow. and spend it at the cabin. So we got to go to Sandy Island and then we just went to the cabin and spent a week wow. there. And it was, it was absolutely glorious. Oh, that's awesome. How long have you guys been married? How long have we been married? It'll be 12 years this year. Wow. Yeah. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. We got married in 2010. I shouldn't have had mm -hmm. to think that long. It should make the math really easy, but it depends on the time of year you ask. <laughs> so one of the other fascinating things uh, that you, you're you up to right now, which I think is, is a lot of people are in the midst of, is a vocational transition. So you had been working for a long time at Planned Parenthood, which, which we love. Uh, how long had you been there? I was there for four and a half years. And I actually, I feel like I need to back up because this was a beautiful oh, sure. transition to, from like, how long have you been married to this vocational change? Oh, and sure. I feel like I should mention that in our wedding, I mean, we talked about how I came to Unitarian Universalism. We had yeah. the, the minister at the church I grew up in married us outside in Littleton. Um, Dulcia and I wrote our vows separately oh. and we had a friend read them to make sure they like coordinated but like didn't conflict things. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. she like I remember she sort of I mean she got a little teary which was very sweet and then she laughed um and it was only you know when we got married that I got to hear the vows where I said something about having at least two dogs or nice. having like our many dogs and Dulcia said something in her vows about having only ever one dog <laughs> Um, but, but the important part to include here to note is that we both had dogs in our vows because that is sort of who I am and who I have always been. I recently also asked my mother, um, how old I was when I started asking for my first dog, because I had this memory that I was very young, but I didn't, I wanted to make sure I wasn't exaggerating. And it was in fact at like one and a half or two years old was when I started wow. asking for a dog. Wow. So I have been in dogs right my whole life um and 
So yes, I have been working at Planned Parenthood as the manager of parent education. So in education, supporting parents as the primary sexuality educators of their children for the last four and a half years. Um, but before that, you know, as a teenager, as a young adult, I have been involved in in dogs in some capacity. I worked, my first job was at a vet clinic. I worked in the veterinary field for about 10 years. And throughout that time, I was often just sort of casually training people's dogs. Like, can I teach your dog a trick? (laughs) Or um, in high school, one of my teachers, after I had graduated from her class, I would go to her house and just like train her dog to do things like go in a crate or sit and give a Mm. paw, like just trained dogs for fun for a long, long time. And, um, at some point in my early twenties, I realized that the idea of doing veterinary medicine was less appealing to me, but I loved when people called and they were having trouble, like getting their cat in the carrier and we needed to talk through that or overcoming a behavioral challenge, like talking through that. And I suddenly realized that I in fact did not want to be a vet. I wanted to work in dog behavior. And so I got a master's degree in behavior analysis and I worked for a long time with families, um, doing parent training. Uh, I worked supporting staff who were working directly with families. So staff hiring, staff training. Um, and then I really wanted to work somewhere that was a little bit more, um, approaching the world through a social justice lens. And I still really loved behavior change. I loved training people. I loved supporting parents. And I found this role of the manager of parent education at Planned Parenthood League of Massachusetts. Mm. And so I think sometimes people are like, this is a real difference in what you were doing before, you know, sex ed versus behavior change. But I was really coming to it from a perspective of you know, having conversations as a behavior, engaging in sexual behaviors as behavior. How do we tweak all of these things to help parents feel more confident and comfortable having conversations with their young people? Um, where before maybe I was looking at how do we help parents successfully help their kids, you know, get ready for school or take a shower, or whatever those activities were. Um, and the more I got into working at Planned Parenthood, the more I was sort of missing doing dog training. And I was also starting to feel like I used to have a lot of people in my life who would come to me as the dog expert. And (laughs) I wasn't getting as much of that anymore. People just weren't asking me for things. And I was, I was just really missing it. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to start training again. I'm going to start my own little thing on the side. I called it ran with dogs because Oh, really? I just always want to be with dogs. Thank you. That's a cute <laughs> um, and I was like, I'll have one client a month. Like that's it. It'll just be, I'll work at Planned Parenthood. I'll have a client a month. I started this in January of 2021. So that's when wow. I was like, I'm just going to add this in. It's we'll do it remotely. Like everything is time. online in my free time. I mean, I was only working nine to five. It was, it was great. I was like one, one client a week. This is fine. Um, I very quickly had three or four clients <laughs> and around the same time, a good friend who went to grad school with me, who did dog training in high school at the same time I was working at the vet in high school, we had both worked together with families in that previous job. She reached out and was like, I'm not sure what to do next professionally. And I was like, Hey, want to start a business? And she, you know, sort of didn't respond super enthusiastically at first, but was like, tell me a little bit more. 
And in March of 2021, she texted me, I have this text saved. And she said, let's do it. And so we spent the next several months putting together a business plan and pulling together all of the, like looking at our finances and putting together structure for the business. And we officially launched the Dog Behavior Institute in July of 2021. Wow. Um, and so then I was like, I'll only take three clients a month. And of course that didn't really last and quickly became um, just working all the time, either doing the Dog Behavior Institute or Planned Parenthood. And it has been so exciting and so like soul feeding to be doing all of this dog related work. So we do dog training, but we also have courses for people. We, we both went through our master's degree in behavior analysis together, and she's also a PhD. Um, and we both love working with people too. So we have courses for people who want to learn more about dog behavior. We have direct assessment programs for um, challenging behavior in dogs. And then of course, direct dog training as well. Um, And so we're just deep in it. And at some point I realized that all of the work I was doing there was really like feeding me in a way that while I loved my work at Planned Parenthood, I felt like I was just waiting to get to the other work. And so I finally said, wow. I need, well, I finally said with my wife who said, I need to see more of you. And this like 6am mm. to 9pm schedule isn't working. We're in the same house all the right. time and we never yeah. see each other and we need to mm. change that. And so I, I took the leap and I left Planned Parenthood League of Massachusetts on my last day was February 28th. So today is just two weeks, two weeks of full time at the Dog Behavior Institute. I love what you say about both working full-time more in the same house and not seeing each other. I think that's something that a lot of us are in the midst of right now where we're, you know, squeezed in the same spot, but Mm -hmm. working more. Certainly Mm -hmm. this has been my experience with, with my wife is, you know, we have three kids too and a dog, but it's like more time in one another's orbit but less time actually together in like Mm -hmm. a meaningful relationship building geek kind of way. And it's a whole discipline now, you know, I think, and especially in this next little chunk of time to say, okay, so we're moving into this next phase of the pandemic, right? Where the behaviors and patterns that might've served to help get us through that early phase where everything was so terrifying and everything was so unknown and, now it's like we need to kind of ramp down and remember. And what I love about your story too is like, all right, what really feeds me? You know, what what do I want my life to be? And I think that's what mm-hmm. so many people are in the midst of right now and, and kind of a reckoning. And mm-hmm. um it's a really it's exciting and really vulnerable and and kind of complicated set of transitions. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people quitting their jobs these days. I don't know if you see that as part of the same kind of wave oh, yeah. of the great yeah. resignation. And so I'm saying it's like kind of amazing that nobody's left. Yeah. The Our team is still in place. Yeah. Sam's like, and now is a good time as any. To no, 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 no. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, but... I did quit one job during uh, in oh, the, early, that's right. the beginning of the pandemic, which was, you know, before for, for a year and a half before the pandemic started, I was a dog walker for a boutique dog walking firm in downtown Boston. 
not firm, you know, was, it was a, I was a, like a freelancer for them. And, uh, and, and I would look after cats too. And I had some pretty high end clients. I had, I had one lovely old dog named Cole, mm. whose owner was a collector of rare art books and also of medieval manuscripts, oddly. And I remember Whoa. I told this story in my old English class that I'm taking at the moment, but I went to, um, pick up Cole one day to, to give him his walk. And I took him for a walk and took him back home and gave him his lunch. And I noticed in the corner of the room was this beautiful, what I assumed was a beautiful facsimile of a medieval Bible. And I walked up to it and I looked at it and I was like, well, fascinating. It's all in Latin. It's the, it's the Vulgate Bible and so on. And I looked at it and I was like, why are the corners kind of rounded? You know, and I touched it and I realized, oh no, this isn't a, this isn't a reproduction. This is an actual vellum like 13th century Bible. It's like, so wow. sorry, that was a random example, but I had, yeah. I had some, I had some high end dog walking clients. <laughs> yeah. and I really miss those dogs. And I really miss all the random fascinating homes I would go into to pick up my dogs and look after my cats. And, but then that fell by the wayside in the beginning of the pandemic. There's something I did, um, back in, in 2010, 2011, I, I left my job in the veterinary field and briefly started my own company doing training and also pet sitting. Um, Mm. and one thing I remember about that, I had lots of dogs and cats, mostly cats that I was petting pet sitting for and dogs that I was training, but there was something about pet sitting that felt so oddly intimate. You spend so much time in the home of someone else who isn't there and you are on their couch and you're playing with their pet and you see like, I would go into someone's house and there would be ultrasound pictures on their fridge. These are people that I talk to on the phone once and they leave Mm -hmm. me a check, but otherwise our whole relationship is that I'm only there when they were not there. And it was this odd thing where I cared so deeply about these pets and about these families. And I really felt like I had a relationship with them, but in fact, we had no relationship and that was sort of the whole point. It's it's just such an interesting intimacy to have that to have that level of intimacy without really ever having a conversation with someone. It's all in just yeah. being in the space and leaving them notes and exactly. being invested in their caretaking as they're you know going on vacation. You want them to come back to a clean and cared for home and a happy right. and cared for pet. But yeah, what an uh, odd and thing. And I would send a lot of text messages of of photos of of cats yes. and dogs. I'd be like, that would be my whole interaction with this human being would be me texting them photos of me feeding, you know, Kiba some cod, <laughs> yes. cod skins and her jumping up to get them. And like, it's like, and then send them sending back like emojis and stuff. That was a whole relationship. Yes. <laughs> I, had a, I had a deep, intimate relationship with this animal. And the owner was like this distant figure sending me emojis. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. But you're right. Like, it, like it's oddly intimate because of course I, I'd, I'd be in their home every day and I'm nosy, so I'd be looking at all their their family photos on the walls and so on. Like, you can learn a lot yeah. about somebody's life from uh, from walking around their home. <laughs> so that yeah. sounds that sounds rather weird, but it's just... <laughs> it's very exciting, and I'm sure we can pop the Dog Behavior Institute. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's a good name too. It's a nice solid. Thank you. That's an awesome name. Nice solid. Thank you. Name. We have some pretty exciting plans for for continuing to grow it and getting to support. Um, people who want to learn more about behavior and students who are coming through. And I will say one thing that has been so gratifying about the work that we have done putting into it is trying to think about 
what are the the characteristics of white supremacy culture and mm. how can we keep those out of our business? And so that yeah. has been something that we're looking at coming right into it. So very early on in our conversations, we said, you know, so many people who have dogs work all day and they come home to their dogs in the evening and they might want weekend and evening sessions. And we said the way that we can make this sustainable for us is that we're not going to offer those things regularly. And so there might be some, like I'm offering one weekday evening a week and that's it. And that's how we're going to be sustainable and take care of ourselves is to to be really present and available for our clients, but also to be Mm. really present and available for ourselves and to prioritize rest um, as we're coming into things. And then the Mm. other thing that we have throughout all of our services is we have a sliding scale program that doesn't require any sort of proof of need. So if someone says, this is something I need, great, we can accommodate that. And then we also have free spots in all of our courses for BIPOC, that is Black, Indigenous, people of color, Mm -hmm. um, participants who might want to take that space. So we say, here's what we can, we have this many sliding scale spots, we have this Mm -hmm. many BIPOC Mm -hmm. participant spots, please let us know if you need them, but we are not going to make assumptions or hold requirements for people to prove that they meet any Mm -hmm. of those. Um, And that has been really fantastic to be approaching everything from an inclusive perspective. Well, and I love yeah. what you say, tying white supremacy culture to the question of risk and overwork. I wonder if you want to unpack that a little bit for folks who that might be a new uh, connection or idea around. Oh, that's, a, yes. It's something I am still learning a lot about. So I'm not sure that I can speak well to exactly how they are related, but white supremacy culture, there is a list of characteristics of white supremacy culture that mm. one can Google. I think they're 12 or 16 characteristics. And the list, when I have found it, also has descriptions of each of those characteristics and antidotes to each of those characteristics. So if there's Mm. something that resonates as like, oh, this is what I'm experiencing, you can also see how to counteract those things. Um, But a a lot of white supremacy culture and capitalist culture is go, go, go. And it Mm -hmm. is not resting. And so by resting, by listening to our bodies and listening to how we're feeling and not putting the emphasis on productivity or perfection, we're actually taking a little step away from those characteristics of white Mm -hmm. supremacy culture. And I, again, I'm sure that there are folks who can speak to this much better than I can. Um, For folks who are on, say, social media like Instagram, I follow the NAP ministry, which has some excellent information about rest as as social justice, honestly. And and maybe you hear that and and are like, oh, what? That's a stretch, but but it's worth looking at and and listening to. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's I I really appreciate that. And it's been something that you know, we've been working on, working on really hard is a funny way to put it. But one of the things that I've really appreciated about this year and, and our team in particular, um, and one thing that I've been working on myself is, is also resisting. And I was, some of my initial response to the pandemic and to the crisis and to, you know, my family and all my kids being at home and just everything spiraling out of control one of my, you know, kind of crisis responses was to just do more, like clearly 
this is out of control and I will do more, you know? And so I was like preaching twice a week and making all those videos, which are, um, for those of you who might not have seen them, it's worth a little gander at our YouTube page when we hired our new director of youth ministry, who's also a social media consultant. Uh, she looked them all over and she's like, so are all the videos just you standing in the middle talking? <laughs> I was like, Maybe, maybe they are <laughs> hundreds of videos of me standing in the middle of the screen talking, but it was, it was that response, right? It was like somehow, like, I don't want to just sit in the discomfort of this moment. I don't want to feel the powerlessness that I'm feeling in this moment. Mm-hmm. Instead, I want to fill that void with more and more. And, and that's something we've, we've really gotten away from this year because it was so clear. You know, I, I love my team so much and it was so clear that, and I was never asking them to do that, but by example, I was leading in that way, right? So I was like, oh, like the guy in charge is doing that. So I should probably do something close to that. But all my words were saying, no, 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 no. You got to be, you know taking care of yourself and each other. And da, 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 da. But what I was doing was like more, more, more. So at the end of last year, and we, and we were reflecting on it together, uh, but I think really at the end of last year, going into this year, we said, no, like the, the, we are not entering into this off season rested. We're not entering into this fall rested. And so our, our, biggest priority is to be able to sustain what we do. So we mm. scale back a lot. We scaled back the videos we were doing. We sc- Everybody was doing a couple things, but we were net total as a team doing less. And it was really in that same vein of, of trying to work differently so that we didn't, you know, dist- and I think what I've seen, not to throw any of my colleagues or other churches under the bus, but I think one of the challenges a lot of places are having is they just kept trying to do more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And, and people are just crashing and burning across all. I mean, I know church is best as far as an industry, but across, mm-hmm. across the board. And I think there's this question of, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, to live in a way that doesn't, to live and work in a way that doesn't, squeeze us into oblivion what does it mean to build an institution that is not founded on the exploitation of its workers but can be a place that is a growing kind of thriving place to explore and deepen as pieces of the institution as a work and as a team and we're really lucky our the board's been really supportive in that and everybody's been been really supportive in that but it, there's a lot of it that's not you know, specific. There's a lot of it, like you say, that's in this kind of white supremacist culture that we don't even see largely. Right. Because it's just part of, you know, the water that we swim in. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other piece of that is also when you're working in a context in which the the mission of the work or the goal of the work is so heart-centered or is something that you deeply care about. Like, I sat down the other day and I realized 95% of people will not get this, but I sat down the other day with a two minute video of two dogs playing. And I was going through this frame by frame, looking at the body language in each frame, interpreting what you miss when, when you watch it in real life or at full speed. 
And halfway through this, I just stopped and I texted my, my colleague and said, I just love working with dogs so much. I just love this frame by frame analysis of what's happening. Again, I, no I realized idea. That, that was the thing that you do. Yes. That's fascinating. That is the thing that we do. Like a sports um, replay. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. And looking at specific, you know, to someone might be like, my dog loves playing. And then we look at it and we're seeing signal after signal of that dog actually saying, I want space. I need space. I need space. And then this can explain so much. The people think the dog loves playing. They take the dog to play. The dog is overwhelmed the whole time, or maybe only 75% of the time. And then the dog, you know, snaps at another dog and they're like, it came out of nowhere because it feels like it came out of nowhere Mm, because they can't see it in slow-mo. So we see that kind of thing a lot, but my point is like that level of nerdiness I love. And so it's so easy to be like, okay, I know it's five o'clock and I've been working since right. this morning, right. but like, let me just have another half hour or another, you know, 20 more minutes. And that's where, when it's something that you love doing, or it's something that is about people that you care about and work that you care about, that it's harder to step away and almost more important to step away so that we can fill our own cups so that we can come back and do that tomorrow and the next day and the next day Mm. with the level of like presence and enthusiasm that we had in that first, in that first two minute frame by frame video. Yeah. And, and I think it's extra complicated right now, right? Cause I mean, a lot of my experiences, you know, when I've had vacations and when I've had chunks of time off and even just my ne- my weekly, you know, day day off and my sort of really ramped down day, um, this is a hard moment to not be occupied. I mean, I speak for myself, right? Like with Ukraine, with the virus, with just so much grief and so much loss and so much pain, like it's a hard moment not to be distracting ourselves. So you know, work is, is even if it's wonderful. I mean, I have all sorts of other projects too, where I could be like, Oh, I could start this. Oh, I could start that. Or, Oh, I could start that. And you know, I've like fishing trips and travel and all sorts of things. And a lot of times it's like, all right, let me just have some time to really just kind of be here. I mean, my kids are still pretty little and and still like, Hey, let's build a Lego set or Hey, let's do this. (laughs) Let's do that. But, but it's a hard moment not to be, distracted and there's a lot of pain in this moment to be present too so i I said my dog's not here i should um yeah i should i should mention uh you the listeners uh can't can't see this but ran did have a wonderful cat in their lap and the cat's gone what's the cat's name that was twig notaro he most often goes by twig Yes, Twig Nataro. Fantastic name. Thank you. Thank you. I, I do have to say that I put that out there and then I wait to see how people will respond. So for listeners who don't know, I feel like I should share this. Mm. Tig Nataro right. is a fabulous now. Google it now. comedian. Yes. Pause the pod oh. and Google it now. <laughs> and also uh Tig's Tig was on This American Life a, a number of years ago, which is a great intro to Tig. Sure. Um, so we had we had recently been thoroughly enjoying Tig's comedy when we got this kitten, and yeah. he was this tiny little scrawny, like starving kitten, and we were like, he's he's so tiny, so we named him Twig, and then we were obvi- obviously his name can only be Twig Nataro. Yeah. So for anybody who hasn't experienced Tig Nataro's work, um, there's one in particular 
one sort of like relatively famous show that Tig did right after a cancer diagnosis. Mm. Uh, and it's one of the most just incredible, you know, groundbreaking, not to put too fine a point on it, just amazing. Everything has been great. Lots of Netflix specials, all sorts of things, a show on Amazon. Every I've appreciated literally everything that they've done. And um, the cancer special is just really inspiring and mm. so unique. And yeah, it's just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So one of the other fascinating bits of these has been if you have any questions uh, for us, for either Sam or I. Well, can I ask a question that I asked before we started recording? Oh, yeah. Okay. So here's my question. What is your Enneagram type? I do not know. <laughs> do not know. And I have Chris, one. I remember having, I have one, but I don't you remember have what. One. So say okay. what it is for people okay. who don't so know. So you've done this before. Okay. So the Enneagram is like a personality test, sort of. It's a little bit different from some of the others where if you go online and you look it up, it will sort of narrow down the answer. So there are nine Enneagram types. They are numbered one through nine. So I will say I am a type one. Mm. Dulcia what does that is a mean? type. What is it? Well, I, I think that we'll have to do a deep dive into this later, but I will say that it is very um like rules are very important to me. I, I'm definitely a rule follower. I expect other people to follow rules. I have a really hard time when they don't. Um, and I'm I'm very busy. So the first time I heard about an Enneagram was actually because Dulcia found some account on Instagram that had Enneagram bingo. And it was like, look at these qualities. And if you check off a lot of these qualities, then this is probably your Enneagram type. And she handed me her phone with this bingo on it. And there on the screen was this list of, it was like 16 qualities and 15 of them described me perfectly. And I did not Whoa. know that these went together. <laughs> like one of uh, them yeah. was yeah. podcasts while cleaning. Oh. And I was like, wait, what? That's, that's a thing. Like listening. <laughs> that's my life. That's of course podcasts <laughs> yeah. and cleaning. And it was like yeah. being efficient. Like, I don't uh, remember what all me. the no. things were, but <laughs> I went through this and I was like, how did they put me in this little, in this little box? And then oh, she was like, here, here are the other eight numbers with the other eight cards. See if you can find me. And immediately, like there she was on, on this little screen. She's a nine, she's which a is nine. funny because people have joked that she's as far from me as possible. Like those are the two ends of it, except yeah. Yeah. it sort of goes in a circle. So she's also okay. right next to me. Right. Um, but. Well, compatibility she, is a fascinating, sorry to interrupt. Compatibility is a fascinating thing. And so you also unpacked the compatibility of the one and the nine. Yeah. So the Enneagram Institute has, has information about each of the types. And then you can also look at what might be expected from these types in relationship with each other. And nice. so those were the kinds of things where it actually said, like, here's how a one and a nine can live well together. And we were like, oh, we haven't worked on this thing. And we did. Yeah. And it was life-changing. I, I sort of joked for a while that the Enneagram was like, fast track therapy. Like you can right, find really? your personality type and it's like, here's what you need to do to relax. Here's what you need to do to be more productive. Here's Perfect. a change you need to make to feel happier about yourself. And I, I have this. found these tips and strategies to be so helpful. But mm. basically when you find a, a test, 
you take the test and it will sort of narrow it down to three numbers. And then you read through those three numbers and see what resonates the most with you. So it's not a, a decisive thing, but you are only one type. And then there are sort of other subtypes that are involved too. I will not go deep down that rabbit hole, but. Well, one hundred percent, we will do an Enneagram class. Yes. What do you think it works up to two session or one yes. or yeah, we'll figure it Something out. Something like it, that. Coming yeah. soon, coming soon. Stay tuned. So the funny thing, and I'm sure she doesn't listen to this podcast, but my first wife who I'm in very chummy terms, whatever um, we were theoretically everything. Oh, perfect. Chinese Zodiac. Perfect. You know, like what the astrology perfect. Somebody read our charts and they were like, Oh, it's perfect. Of course we're divorced now. So it wasn't perfect. Um, and then, but my wife now, Lauren, my beloved, right? Like horrible, like Chinese, horrible. Everything's like, no run screaming a dragon and a dog or whatever she is. I forget. It's like, no, and it's been great. Scorpio Gemini. No, it's been great. It's all just kind of balanced out. So it'd be really fascinating to, to see what the Enneagram, you know, is. And yeah, yeah. I'm curious about this now. Balanced it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Any other questions? Any other questions? I guess a question that I have, this is another very important high on the list is um, what is your go-to meal that you make for yourself these days? Nice. I'm always, I'm always ready to go. Sam, do you want to go first or? Yeah. uh, Well, you know, Whole Foods has a uh, chicken tikka masala, a new, a new line of them that is, that is that, it, that, you, that I put in the microwave. And that's about as much cooking as I do for myself. And it's, I, my partner is a chef, so I, uh, I'm yeah, not great. that way inclined, so I don't do a lot of cooking, but, uh, when I, yeah, it's, it's partly, partly the, 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 the microwave chicken tikka masala is nostalgia because that's like the main dish in Britain. That's like the national dish. And so it's, so I sort of miss that. <laughs> that's great how about you chris what's your what you're an actual cook so yeah it's been it's fascinating i do a lot of the cooking most of the cooking in the house so i wake everybody up and i get their breakfast orders and i make five different breakfasts usually and so i sort of short order cook it and so when but i love what you say when i'm cooking for myself because that's also a different thing um but i've taken to you know big salads in the middle of the day. So I've realized kind of, you know, I was trying to get healthier during the pandemic, but I've also just been paying attention to like how my body wants food, you know, and, and when during the day and what feels good and what I've, you know, I've been exercising a lot too. So it's like how, what, it, what really feels. So, so the, the system for lack of a better word I've settled on is like just a big mound of salad like a big salad in the middle of the day that has like i love vegetables so it's like raw kale and carrots and beans and usually well now for 40 for the earth i'm giving up meat for the 40 days so but i often would have some chicken or some salmon on it but now it's like a big chunk of tofu on it and the beans um sometimes some almonds but like a lot of veggies and cabbage whatever anyway so it's like a big huge mound of of veggies um that's sort of what i what i end up cooking a lot mm. but I, I love cooking food for the kids too and and i guess the other big thing is holiday meals so i'll, I'll do like a thanksgiving a big spread on thanksgiving for folks and kind of channel my dad a little bit 
terrible question. I'm so hungry now. I know, right? <laughs> well, especially. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, Ryan, what's your, on what's what about you? Yeah, what are you? Yeah, yeah what do you so make? my go-to recently, I, I've been making sourdough before the pandemic. I'm not a pandemic sourdough. I mean, power to folks who are. And if anyone needs a starter, if you want to start now, I always have some starter available. Mm-hmm. But nice. I have been gradually perfecting my sourdough process. So we typically have a loaf of relatively fresh sourdough. So I will take a slice of that, fry a couple of eggs. My wife's favorite bread, by the way. I mean, not to pressure you to ask for you to, you know, whatever, drop off a loaf, but we'll see. But yeah, it's her favorite thing that that exists. And toast Mm -hmm. is literally, you ask her what Mm -hmm. her favorite food is, she would say sourdough toast. On it. One of the few Um, disappointing things about her as a partner. I was like, (laughs) of all the food (laughs) in the (laughs) world, Toast is your favorite food, and she'd be like, "Toast, don't judge me." And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I am. "Crazy answer." Anyway, go ahead. So yes, sourdough. Um, yes, two fried eggs. So sourdough, cheddar cheese, tomatoes, mm. onions, oh, yeah. fried eggs, oh, yeah. sriracha, and honey mustard. What? That sounds That's good. Delicious. Uh, it takes like ten minutes to make, and then yeah. like ten minutes to just yeah. like enjoy. That's a great. Yeah. So. That's yep. my go-to probably every couple days. So, so my boys especially have gone through waves of breakfast during the pandemic. And for a good long chunk, I was basically making almost that breakfast sandwich for, for my 11 year old. Uh, and he's, he's had very clear opinions about all of it. And he's becoming a bit of a foodie and he has like refined cheese taste. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, well, I would have that. What kind of cheese do we have? And I have to be like, well, we have the six cheese Italian blend. He's like, okay, yeah. So that with a fried egg on top of, <laughs> you know, but then if you don't have the specific cheese, he'll be like, woof. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Anyway, that sounds delicious. It does. Mm-hmm. It really That's does. Great. Wow. I'm hungry now. I know. Right? I know. Well, so we just made all our listeners We're hungry as well. <laughs> all our listeners right now. I if they're not say, already cleaning, and- they're now eating their lunch. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that has gotten me through these sort of go together for me. One thing that has gotten me through this last year of the pandemic was I finally got a Peloton and mm. I cannot get enough of it. I love yeah. it so much. It has been amazing for my mental health. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I used to ride my bike to work Well, I would ride to the train, take my bike on the train and then ride four miles from the train down to, to where I worked. So I was on my bike you know, for almost 10 miles a day. Mm-hmm. And then that has just stopped and it doesn't feel super safe to just ride around the suburbs on my bike. We don't have a lot of bike lanes up where I am. Mm, right. um, and so the Peloton has been just such a wonderful way to get moving again. So I, I do my ride and then I, and then I eat my egg and cheese sandwich nice. and it's, it's glorious. <laughs> Yeah, especially in the wintertime. I mean, I, I love biking, but really it's, you know, when you, even when it's just cold enough that it's sort of punishing on your hands. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, there's other ways, there's other ways for me to exercise, but yeah, that's great. I love, I love the Peloton. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been great. This has been great. <laughs> Super fun. Psyched about the Enneagram class coming up. I'm so right excited up. and best of luck with the dog business. Thank you. And Thank everything. you. Everything, the dog yeah. behavior Institute. That's yep. really wonderful. And it's been so great to have you and Dulcea and everybody at the church and such a fun mm-hmm. conversation. And I'm so hungry. 
So (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Great. And we'll see you soon. Thank you everybody for listening. And if you have any questions you'd love for us to dig into, feel free email minister at uubelmont.org. As always, thank you, Sam, for making all of this happen and doing sure. all the hard work after these wonderful conversations. And yeah, a couple more coming this season, and it's been really a joy. So we'll see you real soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>